Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency into Hour 2. We say hi to Evan Bland with the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland, O-W-H, on Twitter's where you find him. Evan, uh, last time we did this, it was, well, Radio Roadside in Indy. How you doing? How's the week been? <laughs> good, yeah. No uh, no cameos behind us today. Just a good old-fashioned <laughs> phoner, but good to be back. It is, and a lot going on. We'll start off with Nebraska camp and the news coming out earlier on safety Miles Farmer entering the transfer portal. Kind of up in the air, obviously, to start camp with Coach Rule. Monday laying out uh, Miles Farmer's suspension, and now we have a resolution, but not necessarily the resolution uh, you want with a guy that's as experienced in Nebraska's secondary as Miles Farmer. Where do you think Nebraska can turn? Yeah, I mean, obviously not an ideal situation for a guy who has essentially been a starter at safety for the last year and a half. Uh, You know, the game that he missed last year at Michigan, I mean, they felt that absence. I mean, they weren't going to win the the game anyway, but uh, I mean, he's been a key piece of what they've been a part of. I would say that of all the position groups on the team, the the secondary is probably one where you feel like you could absorb uh, some attrition in this fashion with Miles Farmer heading into the portal. I mean, you look at what they have back at corner with Malcolm Hartzog and Quentin Newsom, Tommy Hills back there, uh, Marquise Buford when he gets up to speed from his knee injuries back. And then you have a whole bunch of guys who you kind of look at and, and, and could envision in bigger roles, whether that's Omar Brown or uh, Javier Morton, uh, Corey Collier, you can kind of go down the line. Phelan Stanford is somebody uh, who's played well back there, too. So, uh, you know, not something that you'd like to see, but something where I think Nebraska can fill in behind him. And, you know, this was something to Nebraska's credit that they were very transparent about. Matt Rule on Monday pretty much laid out there that there was no big single thing that Miles Farmer did wrong. It was just somebody who wasn't meeting the standards set by this staff. And, and he, as he said, the ball was in Farmer's court. Uh, he elected to go into the portal. And so I think it's uh, maybe one of those situations where, um, you know, the standard was clear and Miles Farmer didn't want to meet it. So you, you wish him good luck at his next stop. But I think you also tip your hat to Nebraska in, in, in sort of defining the situation and, and setting up to where nobody was maybe confused or deceived, but it was just what it was, and he chose to go another way. It's Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald, Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, whenever you look at Miles Farmer, I mean, two-time Tom Osborne citizenship team, 
Uh, he, he was a guy that, as you kind of laid out, played some good football for Nebraska. And now he's into the transfer portal, and I'm sure he's going to be a guy that a, a lot of schools around the country could be interested in with how much Big Ten football he has played. And, and it's rare to see a guy enter the transfer portal this late in the process as, as many teams around the country begin fall camp. Do you see him finding a landing spot before the season gets underway and, and finding a spot where he could be immediately eligible? Or do you think this is uh, going to be a situation where teams like what they have right now and and they'll wait and see maybe for after the season to find a landing spot for Miles Farmer. It's not something that we see all that often, and I don't expect you to have the, the answer off the top of your head, but what do you think we could be seeing here? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's so many different situations out there, so many different schools. Certainly you would think that there's somebody who could use an experienced Big Ten starter to come in and, uh, you know, if nothing else, sort of just kind of play off the cuff a little bit because you're not going to be up to speed with the schemes or even who your teammates' names are at this point. Um, you know, I think the most obvious place that you'd probably check in with first if you're Miles Farmer is Travis Fisher, your former Nebraska DBs coach out at Syracuse now. I mean, he uh, Fisher was somebody who, if you think back to his recruitment back in 2019, he was uh, Fisher identified Farmer as, as sort of a low three-star kid out of Atlanta, somebody who didn't have, I don't believe, many other Power 5 offers really to speak of, and he became, as we said, one of the better defenders for Nebraska the last couple of seasons. So he's, uh, you know, that's somebody I would think you would start with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, beyond that, a lot of circumstances, maybe Miles Harmer wants to go back closer to home, somewhere in the southeast. Maybe it's just playing time. Maybe he uh, trains and, and sits out. I believe he has a, a redshirt year to utilize, um, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of ways that he can go. But, um, you know, again, just I think the clear standards that Nebraska set um, it through the off season and into fall camp made it clear to him that he was ready to go somewhere else. And, you know, I, I would say still credit to him and to Nebraska for – uh, not trying to kind of fake it or make it work if if it's not going to, um, and, and, and cutting bait now and moving forward their separate ways. Evan Bland with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Evan, want to get into your impressions of, of Coach White, his presser yesterday, and then a number of defensive players the last two days stepped up and talked a little bit about their offseason and the early part of camp. What's your feel on, on youth movement? You've got to handful of seniors guys that have been in this program for a while or maybe they're not seniors but they've been a part of nebraska you've also got some talented young guys and i'm interested to to gauge your thoughts on just how soon or how comfortable nebraska may be in going with some of those young guys in big moments in big situations yeah, it's an interesting blend because, and we heard it this week from some of the guys where they're saying, yeah, I mean, you look at the veterans on the defense, the, the Nick Henriches and the Luke Reimers and the Ty Robinsons, the Quentin Newsoms, like some of those guys have been some of the loudest, uh, you know, supporters or encouragers, I would, I guess, leaders in the, the early stages of fall camp. And that's not always the case, right? It's no guarantee that a holdover player with a new staff is going to buy in or, or be interested or whatever. And it seems like that has been the case. Um, you know, I thought what Tony White said on Tuesday about uh, how many players they want to play on defense was interesting. You know, he, he didn't want to put a number on it. And you, you look at Nebraska the last few years, it's been, you know, 12, 13, 14 guys. I mean, they essentially stuck with the same players in the secondary unless an injury cropped up. 
Uh, same thing for the most part at linebacker. And so their message has been, if you're able to go, then we're going to get you out there and, and get you a chance. And so that's part of the reason why this month is so fascinating is that you do have sort of those handful of guys who you're pretty confident are going to play major roles, but then you also have sort of the, you know, a handful of potential starters and then key rotation players that you don't really know how that's going to turn out. I mean, we heard from Ruquan Buckley at defensive line. That was a name that really hasn't come up a lot in the last year. And he's up there talking with, with reporters and about how his body has changed and how he could be you know, a, a quality depth piece for this line that's going to need some new bodies moving on from last season. So like that's somebody, Blaze Gunnarsson's working at defensive end. He's been around, but he hasn't maybe been on the field because of injury or whatnot uh, as much as he would like. And then you think about the spring with Cam Lenhart. I mean, that's probably the name that's come up the most, the true freshman defensive lineman for what he's done as a pass rusher. Principal Uman Yellen, same sort of deal, uh, really high ceiling, but you just wonder as freshmen how much they're going to be able to, to stay out there and, and endure the wear and tear of the Big Ten. So I, I think that's really, especially along the defensive line, is where I'm going to be interested to see what kind of opportunities they give guys. Because, again, beyond Ty Robinson, it's a group of guys who are transfers or uh, you know junior college additions, freshmen, how they sort of parse that out in this next month will be fascinating. And then beyond that, who maybe can gain some traction during the season? Because I, I, I wonder, you know, if you can get it right heading into the first game and, and I'll be curious to see if whether their lineup at Minnesota is the same a month after that, or if some other guys eventually emerge as the season goes on. Evan, you kind of laid it out there for us just briefly, especially along the defensive line, but, but take me through, some guys that you think could be candidates to, to burn a red shirt this year, guys that may hit that four-game limit on the defensive side of the ball specifically, and, and uh, guys that we might be talking about here in a couple months in terms of are they going to get that fourth game or are they going to keep their red shirt? Name me some of those guys that you think we should be looking out for as the, the next weeks and months progress. Well, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned the two freshmen, Principal Uman Miel and Cam Lenhart. I think those are two names that you have to look at pretty closely, not just because of their abilities, but also because of how that's a position of need where they just need guys to, to fill in after the attrition that they had there in the off season, you know, uh, Eric Fields, his name came up as a Rover for the first time on Tuesday. I thought that was interesting. He came in as a linebacker. And so that Rover spot sort of combined is what you would have called a nickel last year, sort of combining that safety and linebacker position. Um, so I, that got my attention is somebody maybe behind Isaac Gifford who could get, some run um you know beyond that it's hard to say like you don't you tend to not rely on linemen uh, especially as true freshmen you kind of need some time to build them up uh and then you kind of look generally speaking at some of the skill spots right like you see every year in college football you see a running back or or receiver break out as freshmen i don't know that That'll be the case uh, at Nebraska, at at running back at least. I think you have some veteran guys there. But I do think at receiver there's opportunity beyond some of the the guys at the top, Marcus Washington, Billy Kemp, and and Xavier Betts. Um, You know, Malachi Coleman's name has come up quite a bit. I think Jaden Doss is an interesting prospect who maybe could jump out there right away. And then, you know, if you're talking specialist, I think Tristan Alvano 
uh, as a true freshman, could come in as the kicker right away. I mean, we saw him in the open part of practice early this week. Uh, just looked, he was a smooth operator, man. I mean, he was he was hitting from forty and fifty, and in, in just some of the few swings that we saw him take. And of course, everyone knows what he did in high school. So, um, you know, I think that's probably where you start, and then you sort of figure it out, right? Like you have that four game redshirt rule to uh, put some guys out there, and maybe uh, in some instances they show you something. Um, and, of course, injuries crop up as well, but I think those are the handful that I'd be looking at heading at least into the opener. Evan, going to switch gears and ask you about Big Ten expansion. We dove into it a little bit with Trev last week. Yeah, You have some murmurs out there about Oregon in Washington. Uh, two more schools have been added to that list. You still have a, a mess with the, the Pac-12, and it, it sounds like, You've got the, uh, obviously, Colorado's bolting for back to the Big 12. You have Arizona uh, and what they're looking at. Uh, you would presume Arizona State's involved with that. I don't know how much Utah hates BYU, but if I'm Utah, I'd follow my way out of the Pac-12 into the Big uh, the, the, the Big 12. So Stanford and, and, and Cal are the two schools that – we've heard today and read today that could partner with Oregon and Washington. How do those four grab you for the big 10? I get the Oregon brand. I know Washington's history in the Seattle market. I don't know that Cal or Stanford honestly give a damn about football, but man, they're incredible <laughs> academic institutions. So do you like those four or would you, I don't know. What's your wish list? Give me, give me some schools you'd like to, to see picked up and added on. Uh, for the Big Ten. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I I kind of like to see what a season at 16 is like. You know, I, it seems less and less likely now that we are going to get that 24 season where divisions go away and you have 16 with USC and UCLA. Um, I think that would be interesting. But as you said, and as you laid out, like the the, the tectonic plates continue to shift with conference realignment. And, uh, you know, the Big Ten has made it pretty clear, at least through some of its, uh, you know, side conversations with national writers that they don't want to be viewed as predatory. They don't want to be hunting Oregon and Washington, so to speak. But if the situation dictates and the, and the Pac-12 falls apart, uh, yeah, I think the Big Ten would be a logical landing spot, something that they would embrace. Um, you know, there were national reports that a few uh, Big Ten presidents were sort of discussing this and that the commissioner, Tony Petiti is, has done sort of his due diligence on some of those schools as well. The money part of it is fascinating to me because, you know, from everything that we've heard in the last year about the value of those teams from a TV perspective, uh, you know, Fox and, and CBS and, and NBC are not going to pay, you know, tens of millions of extra dollars um, to, to include those teams in their revenue. So you would think, that the existing Big Ten teams would it would be asked to either take a pay cut or you would have to bring in those other schools at a pretty steep discount, maybe sort of like Nebraska was when they came into the Big Ten and it took them a number of years to become, you know, full share members. So uh you know, a lot of a lot of moving parts, man, a lot of stuff behind the scenes. We're less than a month from actual football games and it just it feels like um you know, the football is the part that's not talked about until the games start, which is just kind of the state of things as it is. But, yeah, I mean, if you if you think the Big Ten going to 18 or 20, 20 teams 
in the next year or two, um, I'd be curious to know what that looks like. I don't think you could keep that as one big blob, right? I think you'd have to have two divisions or maybe conferences within a conference if you went to 20. So the Big Ten just spent months and months figuring out how to integrate USC and UCLA into their scheduling. Um, it would be really fascinating if all that effort goes for naught and they end up expanding again. Evan Bland, a few more minutes with him. He'll continue on next segment with us, a quick timeout with Evan. Find him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. And uh, we'll spend some time here before our jock doc beating up the pros and cons of Big Ten expansion. Uh, what do you like? What do you not like? Do you like the teams that are <laughs> rumored to be part of this discussion point? I, I, I love the idea of Florida State and Clemson. There's been a salvo lobbed uh, from Florida State. We need to be ready to move by 2025. So we'll see if they get a better portion of the money or they're pulling a, a Peaky Blinders where you've got the grenade pin pulled. More with Evan continues on at Tail Varsity presented by Currency. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Evan Blend with us here from the Omaha World Herald, Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, I sit here and I hear about conferences of 20, maybe eventually conferences of 24, and it, it just feels so different from the college sports that I grew up knowing and loving. But I also don't think I can bemoan it being a, a guy, you know, in Nebraska with with Nebraska being in the Big Ten, I don't think you can bemoan that because Nebraska is kind of what kicked off this era of conference expansion. The Big Ten's really the big culprit of, of conferences losing their their regionality, right? Yeah, I mean, Nebraska was certainly one of the big pieces, uh, you know, a decade plus ago now when they decided to make that move. And I think when you look back at what Nebraska did, it was really – it was less about running to the Big Ten, and it was more about running away from the Big 12 and and sort of uh, you know the Texas influence and all that. And I, I think it's with the benefit of hindsight and, and history in the last 10 plus years, I do think that there's no doubt that Nebraska made the right move, and, and certainly they're in an enviable position. They are in one of the two power leagues right now. Um, you know the, their checks continue to. To clear um, from the conferences when you're talking about you know 60 70 80 million dollars a year coming in from tv money but i do think it's appropriate in this moment as a college football fan to to sort of lament what it's become because it's certainly nebraska is going to be in games that matter and, and in a conference that matters um but you know it's unfortunate because there are going to be whole parts of the country now that uh, are going to feel sort of like the sports, um, you know, a second-rate deal for them. You know, I, the Pac-12 has not succeeded um, at the national level in terms of college football playoff appearances and things like that. But that conference has an important part in this sports history, and it's it's a shame if that conference goes away and you have these these you know classic brands folded into these sort of you know, national conferences. I, I understand that's where it's going and that's where the money is, but I do think it's it's a shame, and and I also think it's it's unfair in some ways to some of these other schools like the Washington States and the um, you know the the cows of the world, where yeah they're not maybe the the preferred brand, but those schools have a lot of value in in their own rights, and and I do kind of feel for some of their fan bases and alums where 
um, you know, what once was a much more maybe level playing field is clearly starting to stack in now in toward this power two format. Evan, as we get you out of here, you have a couple of different stories. You have a, a gambling probe with Iowa State's quarterback. You have news on Nebraska guard Aaron Ulis facing charges in a gambling probe probe involving his time at Iowa. And and I know gambling just got brought in legally to the state of Nebraska. Do you worry about this, that there's just this tip of the iceberg where you can go down the list at schools and maybe you have a, a lot of nervous schools? I don't want to be an alarmist here, but guys betting on uh, their team, uh, the old Pete Rose story, maybe you didn't bet, mm-hmm. maybe that's a signal. How... How deep is this potential iceberg, in your opinion? And then we know what kind of pain it's been for both schools in Iowa. Right. Well, and, and the Ulysses thing remains to be seen, kind of what those bets looked like. Was he doing daily fantasy? Was he betting on his own team specifically? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those details that have to come out. I think, you know, there's there's a few pretty black and white rules, right? Like you don't, you're not going to bet on your own team. That's a big no, no uh, point shaving, all of that sort of thing. But you know, in the big picture, man, like it, that it, the world's changing, like the, these allegations and these investigations of what's going on at Iowa 20 years ago was a much bigger deal uh, or felt at least like a much bigger deal than it does now. Um, for a lot of reasons, that's just the way the world's going. There's, you can't turn on a, an NFL game on a Sunday without seeing a DraftKings or a FanDuel ad. You can't, um, you know, watch a, a college game day or or big noon pregame without looking at betting lines, which are part of the shows now. And so, uh, we heard about it. I think even from some coaches at Media Days last week, where uh, it's a reminder that there needs to be a bigger education piece. I think for players, the ease with which Anybody can bet now through an app is is much different than it was even just a few years ago. So I think you have to look at that. But I will be curious to see what the punishment is in this situation out of Iowa because, you know, again, as Kirk Ferentz said last week, like you would hope the punishment sort of fits the the the, the culture that we're in right now. And the, and the culture is um, very much pro-gambling, college, professional, so again, I think outside of betting against your own or betting for or whatever on your own team, I think there's a lot of gray area there and a lot of area where if you're in a position um, to, to to judge these guys, you have to look pretty hard at yourself too and say, how how in bed are we as a school or as a sport uh, with gambling situations? And then how hard do we want to come down on players that want to get a, a piece of that as well? Yeah, you can't take the gambling advertising dollars and then turn around and hammer a kid for for betting all falling victim to the gambling sure right i mean you got to be responsible i think a suspension's probably in order but don't don't absolutely take the game away from them give them a pretty stern stiff warning maybe a game maybe two and don't do it again son right i mean uh that you know that would be that would be my hope evan great to run you down and spend a few minutes thanks for the time today you got it guys thanks